This episode is brought to you by ZipRecruiter. When you want the best, you have to act fast, especially when hiring for your business. You want to find the most talented people before the competition scoops them up. And the best way to do that? ZipRecruiter. ZipRecruiter finds top talent fast. In fact, four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate within the first day. And right now, you can try it for free at ZipRecruiter.com slash Spotify. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. You've probably heard a lot about Bitcoin lately, whether it's on the news, online, or because your weird mate Steve keeps banging on about how much his is worth. There's a lot of noise and information, and it can be hard to know where to begin. Coin Corner cuts through all the confusion with an easy-to-use site and a friendly customer support team on hand to help. Coin Corner is a quick and easy way to buy Bitcoin in the UK. Visit coincorner.com and enter code FILMBTC at sign up for some free sats or small amounts of Bitcoin to get you started. Coincorner.com The Fix Network. Hello and welcome to episode 221 of the Filmmakers Podcast. This is a podcast where we talk filmmaking, from indie film to studio films and everything in between. How to get them made, how to make them and how to try to F it up in our very, very humble opinion. Today, I am delighted to tell you we are joined that is myself and co-host Ian Sharp, the fantastic producer. We are joined by the equally wonderful producer, the delightful Helen Simmons. Now, Helen Simmons has produced four feature films, including Say Your Prayers, which is out now, A Chubby Funny, The Uncertain Kingdom, and Clock and Luda, which is now in post-production. Uh, she also runs Rules of Life podcast it's a fantastic podcast do go listen and she produced and wrote the short film fuck yeah that's right fuck starring brett goldstein it is brilliant seek it out if you can uh, link might be in the show notes um she was the screen international star of tomorrow in 2018 and she runs Erebus pictures with stephanie aspin she also uh, created the Producers Round Table. A link to that will be in the show notes as well. It really is uh, worth checking out the Producers Round Table. We talk about it in the pod as well, but it's a wonderful resource and a place where producers can get help and advice. And the wonderful Helen Simmons set that up. Ah, oh, it's an absolute joy of an episode for you today because we dive deep into how Helen got her start. What was her route into filmmaking? Well, actually, she was an intern for the Weinsteins. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. We talk about that. She also talks what the fundamental part of filmmaking is and how she went from producing to screenwriting. We also dive deep into casting and agents and packaging and closing movies, dealing with lawyers and getting fees. And... 
We talk about her latest feature film, Say Your Prayers, which stars Harry Melling uh, from Harry Potter and Derek Jacobi and many, many other amazing talents as well. And how that got money from Screen Yorkshire and how it got a post deal as well. Hi, I'm Giles Alderson. I'm a writer, director and a producer. And today I got to listen to the score, the orchestral score for my latest film, The Stranger in Our Bed, played live in Budapest by some amazing musicians. I mean, it was via Zoom, but that's not the point. Uh, my amazing composer, Ian Arbour, had set that up. And it was just a delight to hear. I've never had that big an orchestra um, play for one of my films before. The Dare had uh, a small orchestra, but this was, this was lots of people in a big room with a conductor. It was amazing, and it sounded incredible. Um, Also today, I had my Covid jab. Yes, that is right, and I feel fantastic. I feel science is causing through my veins, and I feel alive. And I feel life is now ready to be taken and grabbed by the balls and shaken and said, yes, I can go make whatever I want to make and be whoever I want to be, and so can you. Uh, If you get a chance to have your jab, please do. They say um, you're supposed to feel like shit. I haven't yet. It's been... It's been ten hours. So it's ten o'clock now. I've still got to edit the podcast. Uh, So they said by twelve. So two hours time. I'll still be editing the podcast, I imagine. Certainly putting it up for you lovely people. Uh, So that's when apparently I'm going to get all the shivers and the illness. So if this podcast doesn't go up because I've pretty much suffered in my own sweat and uh, piss probably then the episode won't be up but you won't know that because you won't be able to hear it but if it has gone up you'll know I'm okay I survived I got through it and I need to get through it because I'm four weeks away from shooting my next feature four weeks um we we mentioned it last week (laughs) but they haven't announced it yet So I can't announce it yet, but as soon as they do, I will. (laughs) Cryptic as fuck. But I can't wait because I've been doing my director's pass on the script. We've been location hunting. We start casting now, Um, getting my crew ready. And I can't wait to just dive in the trenches and get going. So I'm looking forward to that absolutely massively. Do join us on our Patreon if you like this. Come and join us. Come be more part of the team. Uh, link to the Patreon is in the show notes. For now, though, let's get to uh, today's episode, full episode, with myself, fellow producer Ian Sharp, whose latest film, by the way, Under Gods, the exec produced, is out now. So there you have it. So sit back, relax, and enjoy our chat with a fabulous Helen Simmons. Enjoy. Uh, good, Helen. Hello. Hi. How are you? Yeah, I'm all right, thank you. Sun shining. Is it? It is where I am. <laughs> Don't <about> you. <laughs> where are you? <laughs> I'm northwest London. I've got the sun. Oh, I'm in North London, nearly west. So, oh. ah, have you got a nice <laughs> garden? No, they have a oh. garden. Oh, Which sorry. But we're near some parks, so you know. So yeah, London is your garden. London is my garden. <laughs> how long have you? How long have you lived in London? Um, now, how long has it been? Five, five, six years. Right. Okay, yeah. that's not that long then. No, I'm not a Londoner. No. Um, okay. Where all. are you from? Hertfordshire. 
Which is not that far from London. That's it's quite a boring London. place. When I'm from it's not York. London. When I came down to uh, London for the first time, I went to the University of Hertfordshire and I yeah. classed it as London. <laughs> It's that definitely it not London. It's definitely not London, but, but you're that right. Is, but yeah, me, that's a Yorkshireman uh, Yorkshireman, opinion, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Sharpie, for, being from Scunthorpe, would you say that, you know, Hertfordshire was, was pretty much London? Yeah. I mean, well, how long is Hertfordshire? <laughs> like, like, maybe 30 minutes or something like that? Yeah, yeah. Depends which bit. Okay, yeah, okay, fair true. enough. That is true. But you're yeah. right. No, you're right. You're right. It is. It's It's not London. Kind of anything outside the M25 is not London, for sure. So Different true. vibe. Different vibe. Totally. <laughs> so look, you've been down in London, that there London, for five mm-hmm. years-ish. What yeah. was it that made you do the massive move from Hertfordshire to London? <laughs> well, you know, I was living with my parents and I needed to needed to leave, really. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That says yeah, it all, doesn't enough. it? It does. So you moved down to London. At that point, were you, you wanted to be involved in films? Did you know that's what you wanted to do? Yeah, so at university, I had... Um, taken over a film festival that they ran a student film festival oh wow okay um, but you weren't studying film or filmmaking no i was studying history um, nice. at cambridge and i had thought you know i'd come from like a a normal state school and i'd thought well if you go to cambridge like you've got to study something use, important. study something important mm, and you've got like to use that and be a lawyer or mm. that was so that was sort yeah. of what i thought i would do and that was sort of the ambition yeah and then i I loved my history degree. I, I thought it was really great fun. And can you remember anything? Anything important? Anything you've seen? Um, no, 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 I can remember. <laughs> you know, it's always really annoying because every time I do a quiz, and do you remember when it was like Zoom quiz mania mm, last year? Yeah, yeah. Every time there was a history round, everyone looks to you and they're like, oh, then. yeah. And yeah. The, it's like, I don't know all of history. I know very specific <laughs> windows of history. On, Most mate. of which I've forgotten. Yeah, exactly. I was going to say which window. <laughs> Just the window looking out. I'm looking out of now. Okay. <laughs> that's the window. Um, modern, more modern history. I don't more... know anything about the Tudors, and that's always what's in quizzes. Always, yeah, yeah. Henry um, VIII. I can't tell you. Yeah, I can't tell you much about that. Right. Um, but I had a good time, and I <laughs> sort of started. Really, it's what, it's what it's all about. University. Yeah. Um, and I, I started to sort of dip my toe into more creative things like I did some photography there and then I found out about this um film festival and I'd always as a kid like loved films and thought you know I found like a really really old diary from when I was like 13 and I wanted to be a film director because I think like that was all I knew existed in film Mm. and um but then I sort of I focused on being more academic and just did that and then when I when I started to find all these societies and stuff at university and theatre wasn't really my scene that felt like quite a closed shop mm-hmm. it was full of a lot of children of other famous theater makers and film directors and stuff okay um and very sort of actor darling um yes yes the 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 filmy society was not like that and it was really um just like a really nice bunch of people and i joined it as a sort of volunteer in my second year mm-hmm. and I, I got involved that way and it was like the best three days ever um and so when they opened up applications for when I was going to go into my third year for people to be on the like committee, I sort of just, me and my friend just were like, well, let's just apply for the top job and see what happens. And then we got it. And suddenly we were like, oh, we've got to run a film festival for our third year. <laughs> How amazing. <laughs> you must have learnt loads from running a film festival. I mean, loads. So much. Yeah. Like it was the most brilliant. I mean, that was sort of that. And then the film I did after was my film school, because I think, 
Firstly, Hilary Bevan Jones was a patron of this festival, oh, so I learned okay. a hell of a lot from her. Mm-hmm. But also, I think producing a festival, obviously, it's not a film, but it's very similar to producing a film. Um, you know, you have to raise the money. You've got to deal with agents because we had lots of um, great sort of actors and writers and stuff speaking at the festival. You have to deal with the submissions, watch loads of shorts, um, assemble a big team that you have to run, mm-hmm. see something through from beginning to end across a year. Um, so actually, yeah, it was like an amazing training ground and it was the way that I met people in film. It was the, you know, that was how suddenly I had a contact book to start Mm -hmm. being like, I could try and see if I could get a a job or an internship afterwards. Mm. Um, so yeah, it was totally invaluable. I can imagine. Yeah, totally. Yeah. I've never run a film festival, but people have often said, oh, Giles, you should run a film festival. And I've always said, no, I'm all right. (laughs) I've I've heard how difficult it can be and there's a lot that goes into it and it's there's not as in rewards as in yeah you get to meet people and you do that but in terms of you know there's no real money there necessarily and it's kind of a lot of work it's a lot of full-time work um but I'm in awe of those who do and I think it's an incredible thing and you like say you must have been able to find the best short filmmakers and the best people that you could connect with afterwards and go hey by the way I ran that festival but I'm also you know and what a great great way in it's clever really yeah and there's like a big network of us now I mean um Nick, the the film that won like the top awards my year, the short film was Nick Rowland, mm. Nick Rowland's short, and he obviously just did Calm with Horses, and mm. you know, so we've known each other since then. And there's other people like Will McGregor, um, who the festival was named after his short, which had won sort of like three or four years previous. So there's like a whole network of people, and even still now, other people will pop up, or people that have been on committees, or yeah, it's nice to see us all like doing our own thing afterwards but still staying in touch it's very cool isn't it like you know it's i mean we've touched on it loads of times and you know your network is so important isn't it so the fact that you started that like organically almost and you've built that relationship and you've kind of grown together that's fantastic yeah but at that um, point you sort of realized you wanted to do this more as a real job in terms of this is the way you want to go down and history was literally a thing of the past <laughs> um, <laughs> <laughs> I, that really came to me just then i hadn't <laughs> thought of it before um so you now ran a film festival in cambridge you've got your history degree how how did you from there go right i want to go into was that something you had already decided that you wanted to go into filmmaking at that no, point i was still kind of toying with it maybe there would be some sort of route but at the same time i didn't know anyone who did it i mean i sort of like knew them through this festival but hadn't known anyone personally who'd done that as a career and it still felt quite intangible you know my parents are very supportive but I think they were like well how are you going to earn any money and how are you going to do this like it, it doesn't feel very uh it's not as clear-cut as other things so I still apply I applied to law school and I was gonna say yeah you're going from parents going she's going to be a lawyer to you can do what, <laughs> do what? <laughs> yeah, what? <laughs> um, and I I got a place there but I didn't take it in the end because I was still fit. And I, I spent a long time in those that first year after graduating um, going to interviews for like finance jobs or like consulting jobs, you know, things that I felt like I should do right. and that I that would put this degree that I'd worked so hard to get to good use. But every time I'd often go to those interviews and the people, you know, the men in suits in the city or whatever would be like, you don't really want to do this, do you? And I'm like, no. <laughs> they probably want be you that. more because of that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I did that. And then I also um, 
because I was living at home, my parents were sort of supporting me there, living there. I could do a couple of unpaid internships in um, London. And I was starting also to do tutoring, tutoring history for people, because there's a big, there's a market in London full of really rich parents who want their kids to go to posh schools who will take Oxbridge grads and get them to tutor their kids. So I, you know, and you can make quite good money doing that. So I was like, okay, I'll do that and try and do the film stuff too. And I did, um, I did this internship at the Weinstein company, which obviously, I mean, it felt sort of a bit grim at the time, but that, but now it feels even more grim. Um, but it was yeah. also a very good education in. Well, it must have been amazing because I mean, I imagine he wasn't around because it's the UK he was, branch. He right? was around. He oh, was wow. around. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Well, because oh. when I was there, it was awards time. It was. I was right. sort of there in the run up to the Baftas, okay. so it was he was he was here a lot. And he never came into the office because the office was a bit gross. And well, he might fit in. Might be some nice <laughs> plant pots for him. <laughs> he was always at the hotels nearby. And I okay. I learned, you know, like I learned lots of basics doing that. I learned how to do script coverage. I learned how to just how things worked at that kind of Hollywood level. And I, I learned some bad behaviour, but, you know, I also saw how that like um, that awards campaign thing works where they're doing all the screenings and the wooing people I tell also... us about the bad behavior bit because that's quite interesting i think people would be screaming at their podcast devices going what what did you learn that was bad <laughs> well, you can tell us so i mean now he's in prison it's fine isn't it you can say yeah it. you can say um, it, right. <laughs> <laughs> well no he just he was very disrespectful to his his staff and these were like mm. you know the vps or whatever you know like the mm-hmm. big he would scream at them publicly in front of other people and try and like really dress them down Wow. At one point, he left his wallet in London and he was going to, Mar- he was in Marrakesh because there was a film festival there. And so rather than like, I don't know, get a courier, I had to fly to Marrakesh with wow. five hours notice at like 6am and take this wallet, which I do remember like sort of slightly like seeing his like Oscars card in it and being like, oh my God, it's a precious cargo. Wow. Um, had to fly, yeah, fly this wallet to um Marrakesh and then I and give it to his sort of assistants and I just spent the day in this like five-star hotel in Marrakesh before I was flown back in the evening and I did see a lot of women going into hotel rooms and you know at that point this was my first sort of proper foray into film and I didn't really know how things worked and he wielded so much power like it's it's really hard to describe but the atmosphere of everybody wanting to please him and him being like a god Mm. among men and the whole thing was just yeah he was like a total god and i and i think that i mean that's obviously part of why it was so hard for anyone to speak out or challenge him because it was just insane the power that he had and you could feel that with anyone you interacted with and i got to go to the um bafta after party that they threw mm-hmm. in the rosewood and it was like the most extravagant thing i've ever seen in my entire life i mean it was insane it was like you'd be in the toilet and then uma thurman would come out and <laughs> You'd be like walking down to the like chocolate room and then there's Leonardo DiCaprio one side and there's like, you know, it was insane. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But that was, that was, and that was the hottest party to go to because everybody was his, wanted to be his friend and mm-hmm. wanted to be in his films. So it was like, you could feel how that kind of like power is, un, is so impossible to challenge mm. when it feels like everyone's in on it and everybody supports him. And Well, the people yeah. who did try and challenge it, they just got, 
literally shunned out of Hollywood. And that's such a shame, isn't it, that no one could stand up and say, do you know what, you're wrong, without them being out of the business. And it's so good that, you know, the kind of Me Too movement and everything has changed so much now within filmmaking. I felt a massive difference on set. It's yeah. brilliant that you you shouldn't be on, uh, I shouldn't be on my own with an actress in a room, and not that it was, but that shouldn't be allowed even to be yeah, talked yeah. about. And the fact that now it's like making sure that there's lots of other people there, there's a woman there when there's costume changes, all that kind of stuff, it, it's vital for female actresses and for male actors as well, you know, with mm. a predatory male guys. It's so important that the world has changed. So I'm glad yeah. that this all came out. I really am. It's made a huge difference. Yeah, yeah, same. So you learned a lot working there and you suddenly saw script coverage and you learned that, okay, you, you, this was something you wanted to do at that point, even though you were working for a sleazy arsehole. Uh, you, yeah. you know, you were still working with, a, with an amazing company within, with amazing people who were working there. And how did you go from there to going, right, I want to make my own things? How did it happen for you? Well, off the back of that, I got a job on one of their films that they were about to make called Tulip Fever, mm-hmm. um, which didn't do very well. Um, but I, <laughs> I got a job as the director's assistant on that. And it was, again, like I learned how that kind of massive film, you know, on Pinewood ran and like how free production mm-hmm. worked when it was a 12-week long thing and how a massive movie comes together. But I really didn't enjoy it. And I, I sort of felt quite miserable and I didn't feel like it gave me any time to breathe, let alone think about making a short film or something like that. I left that and I thought, okay, I'm going to find a way to still do stuff in the industry, also make money and also have time to do my own thing. And I sort of like hobbled together a plan. It wasn't a plan. It just sort of happened where I started doing like, um, it's, there's a sort of a company called Call Time where you're like on their books and you might be asked like tomorrow can you come and do three days on Avengers that are filming in London and next week can you do two days as a location marshal on this reality TV show or whatever mm-hmm. and so I was doing sort of ad hoc on set stuff still like that bottom rung of running mm-hmm. which I think was really good and I liked that and I made friends and I saw how different sets worked but it wasn't six days a week. So what what's really interesting is like is is that massive jump that transition because it is just an absolute complete different beast isn't it going from you know uh some shorts to suddenly you're in charge of you know even on a super low budget there's at least 20 30 people on set I mean that I, I, I know what made me get into it it was through necessity being an actor wanting to actually just work but for yourself who you're trying to discover your career as you go along that would be really interested to hear that yeah, well, and I, I really didn't know. And I think I was I was obsessively like Googling the careers of people that I admired. And I was like, what did they do? And I think the mm. thing was, nobody had the same path. Like they were so different. And now you look at that, you look at your peers and you look at people ahead of you and you're like, well, actually, you know, we all, people tend to end up if if they're doing, you know, well, I suppose, but they tend to end up in the same kind of place at the same age, regardless of how they started or how they got there and yeah I I looked at it and I still look at it to this day like more on a granular level of what makes me happy every day what way of living makes me happy and there is no point you're not going to be your best self if you're sat in an office where you're not happy um you're actually going to be like a horrible version of yourself and then you're probably not going to get hired again on something else and you know you're just going to sit there resentful that you're not doing the thing that you love 
I think some people thrive with stability and some people thrive in instability. And I think I'm the mm. latter. And I, yeah. I would much rather be stressed about what I'm going to be doing next week than knowing what I'm going to be doing for the next year. Like mm. I, I, yeah. I, I don't get a buzz from yeah. that. I and, agree with that. I'm, I totally agree with that. I'm exactly the same. Yeah. And I think that's what you have to ask. That's when people say, what shall I do? I'm always like... You've got to get to know yourself and ask yourself what's going to make me happy. And if it's going to make you happier, knowing that you're going to be in this company and you, you know, you have your set routine and you do your thing and you'll, you'll get to your personal projects later, do that. If it's going to make you a miserable person, don't do it. And, and it's better to make money doing something else, anything else. Um, but retain that sense of passion and enjoyment for the thing. Cause otherwise I think, yeah it's just yes yeah, toxic isn't it's, it? it's great advice it's true because you start resenting the advice. thing that you actually want to do in the first place because you're seeing it from the angle you don't want to see it at whereas mm. you're right if you're working in a bar let's say but yet you still got your passion to go make films well you're now going to probably go make films you're working at a company where you don't want to so you lose all the passion for it you won't want to go home at night and work on your own film yeah, it just becomes stale doesn't yes. it i mean you see that unfortunately with like you know when you go to festivals or markets or whatever and you meet mm-hmm. execs that have been at a company for a few yes. years and they, they they sometimes have to make a point of saying oh you know, i am a creative i'm like mm. yeah, don't worry don't yeah, worry exactly. like i wasn't questioning your, your your talent or whatever but like you can yeah. see I, i've noticed over the years people do get a bit I don't know that they lose a bit of love for, 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 for what kind of brought us into this space in the first place. Mm. They're lovely. They've got a nice house or whatever, but at the same time, is it, is it worth that? And maybe it is. And that's absolutely fine by the mm-hmm. way, but if it's not, and it's really chewing you up, then maybe, maybe you do have to take a bit more risk. Yeah. 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 And I always thought kind of ironic because then only a year later did I get pregnant <laughs> by accident. But I always thought at that point, I was like, well, it's better to just take that chance now when I don't have a mortgage and I don't have a family and like I can mm-hmm. take a risk. Yes. And if it all goes wrong, like I'm lucky yeah. enough that worst case, I can move to Hertfordshire, which is not far from London, as we've established <laughs> and live with my parents. Sorry. Sorry. And, <laughs> um, and it, and, that's my fallback and then maybe I'd become a lawyer then so like I was always like I'd rather give the actual thing that I want to try which is producing Mm -hmm. a go like a proper go Mm -hmm. and if it doesn't work out I'm still young enough to To take a different direction and that's that's great and that's great and and I suppose that's why you were passionate to go let's do chubby funny when Harry Michelle sort of said look this is how did that come about how did you then go cool I'm going to take the reins and I'm going to make this and I'm going to get it done how did you how do you do that? So I got, I was passed the script by someone at film four and I think it had, it been optioned by a company for like a year or something and, and nothing had happened. Mm-hmm. And we met and got on and we both had that same sort of mixture of naivety and, and confidence, which you only have when you're doing your first thing. And, Correct. Yeah. And yeah. <laughs> you just, I don't know, you don't think too deeply about it. You just kind of do it. And Andy had been an inspiration and, you know, people at that time, I think Sarah Brocklehurst had just done oh, yes. Black Pond. Black Pond, that's right. Yes. Um, and so there are, there are a few of these kind of like micro budget influences around us. Mm-hmm. And um, we, we basically just said from the point that we decided to do it, that we would be shooting it a year from now. That was our plan. That was our like okay. deadline, as it were. Good to have a deadline. Yep. Good to have a deadline. Didn't know what that budget would be. It was sort of whatever could be brought together. Sure. Um, 
didn't know what I was doing <laughs> was sort of uh, you know Andy was very helpful there were other producers I'd got to know who were very helpful uh, Andy Starkey asking yes. a lot of questions mm-hmm. um just I mean it, it literally was sort of at every stage figuring it out as I went googling things asking people things a lot of it was common sense um a lot of it was harder than that you know like but it and it was all kind of even though it was a very much a, a proper film at the end like the way that we did it you know it wasn't the budget wasn't done on movie magic it was in an excel spreadsheet you know the um we didn't have a proper closing because it was just like financial closing because it was very low budget and just sort mm. of a few people putting chunks of cash mm. in so it was it wasn't a it wasn't proper but like equally a lot of it was and um yeah, th- yeah that i suppose was like the proper film school for me of just putting this thing together i mean what an amazing thing what happens what amazing film school though to actually be making a film i mean and you can't learn more than when you will when you're on set ever regardless of how much film school you do being on set is the the biggest bit of film school you can ever do in my opinion yeah i mean it's dealing with like human behavior Mm. you know which is such a big part of the job that i I would imagine like you i I never went to film school or anything like that um you know that's a huge part of it isn't it is just dealing with personalities and making sure you can try and make the day and 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 tr- trying to think ahead as well you know or, or if something happens on the day it suddenly starts raining you don't have the yeah. luxury of like losing a day we're like well we have to this scene now has to be filmed in a toilet yeah. or, or whatever <laughs> yeah. or, all the same experiences that, that, that i went through um which has uh, uh, served me well uh, yeah. yeah that's uh, exactly the same. how did you manage yeah. to to raise those bits of money then how did you go about talking to investors or friends about chucking in whatever a couple of grand or you know a couple hundred quid whatever it was how did you do that can you remember well we we tried the kind of more professional routes and everyone was like no no so fair enough um <laughs> by, by that you mean like the bfi or specific yeah i think we went to bfi we went to other companies like sales agents and things and everyone was like like obviously not um and, <laughs> why wouldn't we um, give you money and i was yeah. like fine yeah, yeah sure part of it which i think we have to be very frank about and i talk about a lot was a, an element of nepotism which came from the director being from a film family which you know was something that I could harness it on this film in the sense that his his dad as a director had a company with a producer who's very experienced and they came on as execs and put a little bit of money in. The yeah. other money I raised through basically someone that I'd worked with before at Weinstein Company wanted to come on as a as a co-producer and her husband had worked in like finance and Goldman Sachs or whatever and had lots of money and he put some in so that she could be part of it and then there was um some money from a friend of a friend who now like made money through online i don't even know what it's called it's like legal sort of gambling but it's like financial or mathsy anyway he made lots of money from something i didn't know what he did he really liked the fact that dave benson phillips was going to be in this film so he put some money in then a company i'd met i've been sort of also doing like bits of freelance work for um a company in camden that um is predominantly a kit house but the guy who runs it's also very philanthropic and and likes to get involved in creative endeavors so he him and his company were execs and put some money in mm. i think that was it and and some tax credit it was sort of pieced yeah. together as i went and not knowing what i was doing and trying to persuade people that this was something that they wanted to be a part of and i think it they all did have that excitement for what it could be and what and I guess what I guess they're also investing in us. They're investing in. I was going to say that. Yeah, mm-hmm. it sounds like it. That was probably yeah. one of their major 
incentives was you and 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 you know you the filmmakers you know like uh absolutely and then we we made it for so little like now i look at it i'm like how do we do it but it yeah. it it's all it's like creatively good in a sense because you have to work within really strict yeah. parameters like we we picked a, a pub in camden as our base nice. as our sort of production office and all the locations bar one had to be within a mile radius so we could sort of always walk to places we could mm-hmm. easily get kit there um things like that yeah. being very practical i mean the whole crew it was again it was something you can only do once but basically the entire crew were completely either they were totally new to it or they um were stepping up so say they'd been like costume designer on shorts yes. but never on a feature yeah. or, they would yeah. do that Being or they now um, could be a first type thing they wanted to do that yeah yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. to get that credit yeah uh just bear with me a minute guys i just need the bathroom one sec oh oh gosh one minute i've, I've just got to call robbie one minute i need to call robbie hey robbie hey jazz Is something wrong you sound, sound your voice sounds urgent yeah i just i just twisted my ankle just now i tripped over the last stair went flying oh no do you want me to call the ambulance well you see the things i've never really trusted stairs they're always up to something (laughs) you purposefully hurt me emotionally just so that you could make a terrible terrible joke i see yeah great you know what else is up robbie what else is up this this is a segue now a segue really giles bitcoin Bitcoin is up. It was the first digital currency and the largest to this day. It makes up 60% of the total value of the biggest 250 cryptocurrency coins as of the 19th of March 2021. I mean, that is, well, that's actually pretty impressive. <laughs> I'm still outraged, but, you know, tell me more. <laughs> I've got to know more now. But I'm sure your anger will dissipate when I tell you who has almost seven years of experience in the industry with a dedicated customer service team on hand to help. Okay, you're going to tell me, aren't you? It's Coin Corner! Sign up with Coin Corner now and use the voucher code FILMBTC to get your Bitcoin journey started with some free sats. And the link for that's in the show notes, right? The link is in the show notes. Cheers, Robbie. I just did that. I just called you for that. Yeah, I mean, thank you. Gotta go. (laughs) Hey, guys, sorry about that. Where were we? That was the only way we could do it because then we were all making it for nothing except expenses and food. But we all had the point. We everybody had a part of the back end of the film, and right. you know it was a conversation that we all had to have before of like, okay, how are we going to be able to take these three weeks to do this film and mm. planning around everyone's lives and finances and and then um, it being an opportunity to make someone's career. And actually, I it it has. I mean, like we look at the costume designer the sound recordist you know these people like they've not stopped working since and that and that was their first credit in on a feature and amazing so it, it really did i mean some people went and did something completely different afterwards yeah good guy. i don't but, want to um, do this anymore <laughs> <laughs> but for most people like it really did open doors and um and it it kind of achieved as a film everything that we could have hoped it would mm. yeah. um you know it it got um I, I self-distributed it, actually, Did which you? was also interesting. Oh, yeah, very interesting. Because okay. one of one films came on to do some work from what I can see. But, yes. But uh, yeah. tell us more about self-distributing it because that's quite, uh, yeah, it's impressive. Because most people go, oh, I'm just going to chuck it out and give it to a distributor and they'll run away with it and you never sort of hear from it again. Um, well, distributors liked it, but they didn't know what to do with it. And we had quite a few sales agents being like, let's do the next one together, but... 
we don't know what to do with mm, this one. Yeah. Even though you had and some some nice cast who've gone on to some great things, yeah, especially Harry, you know, uh, who's gone on to a lot, but Asim Chowdhury, Alice, Alice Lowe. Yeah. yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. But even still, you know, it was a very small... And also comedy. People don't know what to do with comedy in this country. It's really hard. Mm. And so, you know, we tried that. And I kind of screwed up the festival plan a bit because I didn't know what I was doing there either. So I didn't sort of, we didn't save our like world premiere for a big place. Not that they would have taken us, but we didn't get the chance to find out. Um, mm-hmm. Again, I think there's just like something about the naivety of it where the first time you're doing something, you're just like, oh, I'll just give it a go. And mm-hmm. it, in a way, it wasn't as hard as I thought it might have been. Like I worked with a cinema booker Good. and we split the, we split any money made at cinemas between us. 50-50, so yeah, did you 50, get that? 50-50. Great, yeah. good deal. Yeah, um, perfect. And... So he booked all the cinemas. I I was in charge of getting the DCPs to the right place at the right time. I was in charge of all the, the pr- I got some help from a really wonderful publicist called Zoe Flower, but um, I sort of reached out to everyone to try and get reviews. Um, I remember seeing it everywhere when, when it came out. There, I saw yeah. the, all the press releases. It was so positive. It was it just suddenly came out of nowhere. I do remember. I and remember we too. and we were shocked because yeah. like I had no idea. You know, like I sent it to Peter Bradshaw. No idea whether he would. He didn't reply and say, "I'm going to put this. I'm going to review this." Mm. You're just like, "Well, let's see." And then suddenly a review comes out, and you're like, "Wow." Yeah. Um, same yeah. with like the Guardian's pick of the week things. Like you, mm. uh, we had no idea that any of that would happen. Um, so it just it got it just sort of gained a bit of buzz, and then the way that the screenings worked, we sort of started in London Picture House, and then through word of mouth and through the reviews via twitter someone at Man- in manchester would be like when's it coming here or someone in mm-hmm. wherever would say and so then we would like talk to home cinema or whatever and be like can we program it there and it sort of i think across three months it kind of was like a rolling because we didn't have that many dcps we, mm-hmm. it would sort of travel around the country to different cinemas um and do like a week in one place and then go somewhere yeah. else and um so yeah quite a few people people saw it in the end and then that's when we got 101 came on to do all of the um, international streamers and yeah. online and yeah. yes that's brilliant that's so inspiring and mm. so many other filmmakers would go well i don't know what to do and the fact that you went i'm going to call up the cinemas i'm going to speak to uh peter bradshaw whoever you know and that's why chubby funny myself and ian had heard about it because you'd mm. put the work in and done it how would you like to look five years younger in a clinical study people that had volume added with juvederm voluma xc in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking 5 years younger at 6 months after treatment look younger feel like you add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with juvederm voluma xc reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with juvederm velour xc for important safety information and to find a licensed specialist visit juvederm.com that's j u v e d e r m.com not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot maybe your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. 
This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Did you have, and this is always interesting, when you're doing a budget for a movie like this, did you have saved, had you saved some mon- money for making your DCPs or marketing? You're shaking your head no. right now. See, and, and, that's, <laughs> and, and would you have, though, if you yes. could have? Yes. Well, yes. I don't know, because it's like... <laughs> You know, you go in with high expectations and you hope that you wouldn't have to do it yourself. So maybe I wouldn't have anyway, but I also didn't know what that meant. I didn't even know what like half that stuff was. And so we did... The deliverables, deliverables, like yeah, what is it? Hey, do... <laughs> Even now, every time I get into oh, post, God. I forget where everything is. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, I, ha- I have done this, but I can't remember. Like... I know, I know, yeah, I know. And there's so much, for those who haven't done it yet, it's horrendous. It's a lot. It's... Yeah, it's a lot. Start, start learning now. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. If you film in oh, ten years' time, it doesn't yeah. stop the amount of stuff you have to. Basically, it means what you've got to deliver. There's got to be a better way of doing it. Distribute. Surely, there's yes. got to be a better way. Yeah, because yeah. they don't need all that stuff. It's Not basically, anymore. They, yeah. They're never no. exactly, and it costs you it. an absolute fortune, and then like most of it's never used. And you're like, yeah. well, thanks for that. Yeah, yeah. cheers. <laughs> that was my time. I did that myself. Yeah, and my money that I won't my get back in ever. Yeah, this time. Yeah, cheers. So we raised the budget, and then we and then we had to go back sort of cap in hand to the same finances and say could you put a bit more in most of them said yeah no problem they were yeah. like by that point they'd seen it they knew it was something cool and nice and actually an extra whatever a couple of grand or whatever now here and there yeah maybe went yes we can do this because we can see what you guys have achieved yeah which is always the nice bit yeah and then it got the biffenom it got one biffenom yeah. it got some long more long lists which was mm. nice. And we, you know, and going to the biffers felt like a kind of really lovely end to the process of the film. And it's beautiful. Yeah, um, it's really nice. And even now, it's always, I don't know why it's always on London Live, but like at Christmas time, it's always on London Live. You know, and, and occasionally you'll just be like, oh, that's nice. And, yeah, and that's find nice. yourself just like watching the just film. Just watching bits, but they always crush yeah. it. They, they, the quality is just not right on London Live. And it, it's because it's not, they don't, they can't show anything in HD. So it's SD, which right. is just not high definition. And so people are watching it on their massive high definition TVs going, <laughs> yeah. this looks terrible. <laughs> you made this? <laughs> it's such a shame London Live do that, but that's what they do. Uh, it's cheaper for them um yeah how amazing i mean that's you know what a brilliant achievement for your first movie now when it was doing that rounds and doing the the cinemas and you you were getting the biffer were you then still trying to make the next one had you gone this is what i want to do yes let's get the next one going how did you how did you go about that and what happened um well harry was always very sort of forward thinking and I mean, he would have he would have rushed a f- another film out sooner than we did Say Your Prayers if he could have, but that just wasn't mm. realistic. We had to sort of wait for the response of the first to finance the second. Right. Um, and so the script for Say Your Prayers, which was then called Ilkley, was mm. sort of him and Jamie had been working on it and it was getting to a point where we could start talking to people. And, and I yeah, the main, I think the main thing that Chubby did was establish us as okay they know they can make something for me i think it was the first i think there's a thing with writers and directors and actors like you can do a short and they accept that that's what you are but as a producer until you've done a feature i don't think they take you seriously so true um yep Yep. and and i sort of understand it because like it's a very different process but equally like it's a different process for a director too but anyway so um yeah i felt like people took 
us more seriously. And then we did have, we had a sales company um, independent who having seen Chubby were like, we will come on your next film, like whatever it is, whatever you want to do, we'll sell that. So that really helped because then we went into the financing process with a sales agent, which means that they feel like at least that film's going to get out into the world. Amazing. Yes. Mm. Um, yeah, big difference actually. For sure. And that's, that's great that the fact you had those relationships and you kept those relationships and you said, look, as, as a team, we're going to come to you with the next one and they're saying, cool, let us know and we'll discuss it. And it's really important to keep those relationships because you yeah. do need them, you know, going back to your investors or new investors, just now say, oh, we've got distribution in place already or a sales team that are going to go sell it for you is, is vital. Yeah, it's I vital. think every, I mean, every, I feel like that is the fundamental part of, film is relationships especially as a producer mm. yeah yeah and like yeah. sometimes the thing something won't work out because that's not the right fit for them or there'll be problems but as long as you're constantly communicating and keeping those relationships good like that's yeah. i think that's fundamental and i think as a producer like if you're not i th- i feel like you know being either naturally being emotionally intelligent or working on your emotional intelligence is like probably the biggest thing aside from like contracts and spreadsheets or whatever it might be just yes. being able to like read people and try and understand what they're feeling and what they want and how you can make them happy and you know it's i feel like that is kind of at the core of what you do for sure beautiful and it's true so like, during that time you're trying to make the next film which at the time was called ilkley which i do remember hearing about quite a lot uh, a couple of events i went to who's it savannah i think i met oh, um yeah. i think she, yes and she was talking about it then being called ilkley so when this got sent to me to say your prayers that through you and, and ian i was like this is set in ilkley i wonder if mm-hmm. it was called ilkley i wonder if it's the same project yeah so it was but during yeah. that time you also wrote and produced a really excellent short called fuck um <laughs> <laughs> which did incredibly well. Uh, talk us through that process of actually, you know, writing something, getting that short sort of made and out there in the world. I've been toying with it. And then we were about to go to Yorkshire to do this film. Mm-hmm. And so there was a sort of window of a couple of three, three weeks or something before we were going. And, and the year before Danny and Danny Morgan, who's the director of, um, and I had been talking and he really wanted to try and direct something. And he knew I wanted to write something. So he was very, he's brilliant. And he was sort of like, just fucking do it. Like, why are you like, just do it. I'm, you know, we're going to make this thing. We'll do it in a day, write something. Mm -hmm. You're good. Do it. And so I wrote the script and, and we planned for it to be done in a day. And then we approached, um, Brett and Esther. I knew Brett, um, Danny knew Esther. Brett Goldstein. Brett Goldstein, Esther Esther Smith. Smith. And, um, and they thankfully said yes. And they were incredible. And, it was just one of those things where we made it for, it was, it's one of those things where people always tell you to do it and you're like, oh, how? Like, cause I'd made so many shorts before where they just not turned out brilliant. Mm-hmm. And this just sort of like, even though it was the cheapest one I'd made, it just had a sort of magic on set and they were so brilliant together and it just came together. And then it just sort of, I guess, struck a chord with people and yeah, it got it like, it went to quite a lot of festivals. Mm. Um, it went to like, you know, it went to like Reading and Leeds in their film tent. You know, like we went quite a few fun places with it. And um, and then, yeah, did Short of the Week. and yeah, on Vimeo staff pick Vimeo well, right? staff yeah. pick. It's got nearly 100,000 views now. Um, oh, wow. And yeah. it just, yeah, people just liked it. And, and it was from that that I got an agent. And then suddenly she was sort of like, well, you need some scripts. <laughs> I was like, ah. Um, because I think normally like you... 
And obviously it helped, I think, that I was already in the industry because she saw mm. it through a friend of mine who was an, another a- an acting agent, but she, he had sent it round independent. And right. so then she got in touch. Um, so, like, you know, I sort of came into writing without having the backlog of scripts that I maybe should have or would have had otherwise because mm-hmm. I'd been doing producing. Um, so then I I wrote a pilot that was sort of based on the short um, which started me off having generals and stuff. And then from there, it's kind of slowly but surely kind of I've built up different projects, had different opportunities and yeah. Isn't that fascinating? And people do say that, you know, you'll be right for an agent, especially in the, the sort of creative side of the world, not the acting world. When you're right, they will come to you, you know, when the time is right, rather than you knocking on the door and, hey, look at me, which you can, you need to do as well. But the fact is that that came through a, a side door of a friend who'd sent it to them and then they went, oh, I must have Helen. This is, this is great. Rather than if you'd been knocking on the door, I don't know something that's not as attractive. I don't and you know. You weren't but... waiting for it, you know. You, you weren't yeah. waiting for it. You didn't to need it. necessarily it, it, one. Yeah. yeah, exactly. You were going to carry on regardless. No. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, that yeah. puts you in a powerful position. But you made short with uh, in your production company, Rebus Productions, which you run with uh, Stephanie, right? Stephanie yes. Aspin. Yes. Yeah. Great. So that was, that was one of your first through the production company. And then you, yeah. you were kind of like, well, look, the film Ilkley at the time, Say Your Prayers Now, was moving forward. Um, how did you, like I say, manage to raise the funds? Because you've got a great cast in that as well. You know, it's an incredible cast and we can talk to them in a minute. But how did you manage to raise, you know, the funds for for this movie? Because, like I say, you, you've, you're established now. You've made a movie with Chubby Funny. Your short fuck has done really well. You've got yourself an agent. But still, it's still really difficult to break down that barrier, knock on the right doors and, and, and raise the funds. How did you do it? I, yeah, well, I guess this time they did trust they they trusted us a bit more they the mm-hmm. like you know all people in the industry we still we tried the kind of um the public funders and they didn't engage with it um really not at all well i mean they sort of engaged but i think but not fully okay. but not fully and you know it wasn't it's a film that straddles i think sort of being commercial commercially comedy and also having a sort of slightly darker artier bent and it, and it wasn't quite in either camp so I think that was maybe part of the reason why it was harder for them um and then we you I mean we utilized the fact that it was regional so um mm. Screen Yorkshire came on yep. board um Great. I was introduced through another producer to some investors who weren't filmy but they wanted to come into film and they you know, had made lots of money doing something else and now they wanted to do film. And so I sort of spent a long time getting to know them and explain the process to them. And, and you know, I, st- I still work with them now and they're really great. And they sort of like fell on my lap in a way. Okay, nice. But again, through right. having had the relationship with this other producer. For and the time, hard work yeah. in the past. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Um, yeah. And then we did a post, uh, post deal with Belgium, which is sadly mm-hmm. much harder now because of Brexit, but was really easy when we did it. Um, and what did that entail? Did that mean you had to do all your posts in Belgium, just so people know? Well, we did some. So because it was through a company um, that has a base in Brussels and a base in Soho, you could do Perfect. some in London, mm-hmm. some in Brussels. So that was really good. And they were lovely to work with. And I would love to work with them again if it, it's doable now. Um, and, and name them, please. So people oh, sorry. Know yeah. This great company. U, U Media. They're brilliant. I mean, they make tons of films like they're they've made amazing stuff and Mm -hmm. they're just like they're a joy to work with really um and then 
other you know like we had a music deal we had some bits of equity that was a lot of more of the same of chubby of like knocking on random people's doors as much as i could um and yeah so we sort of cobbled it together with i think in the end we had like nine or ten finance i mean it was like the closing was hellish Yes, that's the problem, isn't it? Because closing can be really difficult. Things can fall down. You have to, and Sharpie knows all about this, is you've got to please your investors. You've got to please your actors when they're coming out. You've got to please your, uh, like, say, funding bodies and wherever you're piecing your money from. They've all got to be happy with the deal that's on the table. Yeah. Uh, was there anything you learned from, from that? Um Number one, I learned never produce by myself again. <laughs> it's too much. <laughs> it's too much, yeah. Uh, yep. Well, because it's interesting because the three features I've done, the first one, we didn't really have a closing. So I didn't really know what was going on. The second one was horrific. And I think we were still closing like like into the like, second week of the shoot. Like it was just, dra- it was dragging on. There were so many financiers, um, so many lead actors. There was like seven sort of main-ish cast that we had to do deals for. Mm-hmm. Um a budget that was too tight you know like it was there was just so much that I was doing by myself that it was just and it's not even like the workload it's it's the emotional burden of like oh my god I've, I've just had that difficult conversation now I've got to go and have that difficult conversation I just don't have the bandwidth and like you know have I am I in the right here I don't know because I've not got anybody to bounce that off mm-hmm. um so I definitely came away from that being like I'm not gonna I'm not gonna produce by myself again um and yes. then the film that we just did, the closing was super easy. And I was like, well, what is going on? So like, you know, mm. it depends on the project. Mm. Do you think as well, it makes uh, obviously such a, uh, a difference having really good lawyers that can, can help you through that process. And because there's th- so many contracts and paperwork that when I f- first did that closing experience, I didn't have a clue what any of it was because my mm-hmm. first few movies, I just either put some money in myself or I, I managed to find some, some of investors too. So having a lawyer, you know, I had, yeah, I mean, and I had a really good lawyer on, um, on Say a Press, but it was, there was just so many people and so many of their yeah. lawyers and yeah. so many agents and like... Very overwhelming. Yeah, I think it was just, there were so many different opinions and also, you know, it was a co, there was the sort of Belgian co-pro element and all of it yeah. at that point mm-hmm. was new to me. Every bit of that yeah, paperwork yeah. was new, you know, so at least now, like the last one was simple because the finance was a bit more simple too, but the... At least I knew what all those documents were. When when any of those like that long list of documents was mentioned, yeah. I was like, okay, I know what that is. And it and it yes. wasn't so overwhelming as like I've got to not only familiarise myself with this totally new thing, but I've also then got to like know what I'm arguing for yeah. and know what for where and yeah just, yes where the limit is and where you can actually make this because you don't want to get to that point where you go agree to everyone's sort of almost terms in a way and then yeah. you go back to looking at it and you go oh we can't now close this because it doesn't make sense yeah. yeah yeah it's really difficult it's very hard i mean i mean look we financed quite a lot of movies uh over the last few years and to be honest i'm still not fully like uh brilliant at that stuff like my business partner emma really is in charge of all that stuff and her previous experience at headgear as well it's it's a big deal having that experience uh, and i i couldn't do it by myself even though someone we work together like i need emma very mm. much to to help me through that process and another thing about sharp house was we very much if we were working with maybe newer first time uh, uh producers or you know directors whatever we want them to learn through that process so they can go through it again and again. And then you can pass that experience that that was really important for me and Emma mm-hmm. and Rebecca when we set up the company. That's really yeah. good. Cause no one teaches yeah. you. No one teaches you. 
No, clue. it doesn't come anywhere. Yeah. The, most yeah. people might get is from this podcast. This little <laughs> bit we've talked about, but actually it's the same as making it's a film. It's such a massive part though, of making a movie. Yeah. Like, which, again, all these, yeah, you're, you're right. And again, I, I very much was like, I, I don't know if I can go through that again without having experience. So we very mm. much want people to go along that journey with us. So then, yeah, we can kind of share. I really want to talk about the the producers roundtable, which again, which we've not talked about, but Helen is someone that really does go above and beyond to really yeah. help people, even though, you know, like we're not, you don't mind me saying you've had to learn on the job yeah, as yeah. well. And you're still learning like, like we are, we all are, but you are very much someone that is, is so giving, which I don't know if that's recognized enough. So I just wanted to touch on that. Yeah. So it sort of started organically um, because myself, Sophie Reynolds and Lauren Dunn were all moaning to each other as we as we do as producers and um, <laughs> just feeling a little bit uh, crap and undervalued because our fees were constantly being argued away or mm. we were being persuaded to have them as um, deferrals or, you know, the percentage of the budget that was our fee was going down, down, down. Despite the amount of work consistently being a lot and more than anybody else on the project. And so we sort of started to reach out to other producers and realized that everyone was feeling the same. And, you know, we have a tendency, I think, sometimes to just like moan a lot to each other. But then we're too busy to do anything about it. Or we don't it's know true. what to do about it. No, yeah, that's it. There is no, often there is nothing you can do but moan and go, I wish it was better. But you went, actually, we can. Right? He said, let's all, let's club together. Yeah, and, and we didn't really know what the plan was going to be at first. And we did some of these meetups where lots of people came along. And the first one was a moan session. We we realized that, which was good, that everyone was kind of on the same page and having the same problems. And then it sort of turned into um, the idea that we would do this survey, which we did, which was to just get stats on actually what are people earning and what hours they're doing and how are they feeling about their career and their the industry and how supported they are and all of that. Mm. And then off the back of that, we then came up with some guidelines, which we spent a long time sort of going back and forth with the public funders um, primarily, but also private financiers and sales agents and stuff to, to just agree basically on some fundamental principles mm. um, that mean producers do get paid properly, don't defer their fees and are, I suppose it comes down to, to respect for the for the job, which is easy enough, you know, 10 films down the line when you're a huge production company, but much harder when you're starting when out. When you're starting out. And it's often the first one that goes and you're doing all the work. You've, you know, okay, you didn't maybe necessarily write it, but you've then done all the work. You've got it to the right place. You've done all that. And then I'll go, okay, we'll just bring your fees down. Just bring your fee. And you're like, oh, hang on, I've worked on this a year already. Yeah. You know? or, or 10 years. Or, or 10, 10 years. years. Yeah. yeah, a year and if you're getting, lucky. Yeah, yeah, and you're getting nothing. And then, you know, the back, as everyone says, oh, you can get back end. And we all know in indie filmmaking, it's very difficult to get back end. It's just really mm. difficult. Um, there's a lot of things that need to go your way to get back end. Um, so even though we're sort of in control of that in some way, at the same time, you know, if a distributor comes along, it's very difficult. So it's fantastic you've set this up. It's really exciting and wonderful. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go 
to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, price line. This episode is brought to you by Etsy. Sound the gifting panic alarm. You need to get an amazing gift. Wait, no, the perfect gift. Relax. Now you can use gift mode on Etsy. Gift mode on Etsy takes the stress out of gifting, so you can find the perfect item for anyone and any occasion. It's easy. Just tap or click gift mode on your Etsy app or Etsy.com. Then answer a few short questions about who you're shopping for and what they like. And gift mode instantly gives you curated gift ideas based on hundreds of personas. Now it's simple to find gifts made by independent sellers for all the people in your life. So whether you need a housewarming gift for the new homeowner or a birthday present for the pickleballer, Gift Mode has you covered. Need to find the perfect gift? Don't panic. Try Gift Mode on Etsy now. They used to say, go west. What they meant was go forward. Find your own way. Make something out of nothing. It can be tempting to take it easy. But discovery doesn't wait. So this summer, see what it means to make the most of dawn, dusk, and every minute in between. The truth lies west. Discover yours at TravelWyoming.com. We have Directors UK as directors. Yes. Um, but, and, and they do some amazing events and amazing bits and pieces, and I've spoken to so many directors from it. But I think even things like this or even Clubhouse or when you get together with certain like-minded people you can and, and produce a round table, you can connect and you have your own thing as well as the others. You know, so I think there's definitely room for that uh, massively and I think it's wonderful. Yeah. That's great. Let's, let's move on to say your prayers then. So it's going to be on Sky Movies from like Saturday, which is great. Yeah. Right? First That's so May. good. Yeah. First of May. But you can get it anyway uh, if you want to get it on Prime, if you haven't got Sky or anywhere else around the world, you can probably find it. So for that film, uh, Beast from the East 1 happened. And right. I mean, uh, it was Yorkshire. And, I'm, you know, yeah. Yorkshire's not the middle of nowhere, but like it, I've never seen snow like it. It, it looked beautiful. Yeah. But sadly, yeah. we just... we. We didn't think, I guess, how it would last as long as it did. And so the first few days of the snow, we didn't embrace it and say, let's add that to the film and it could be production value. We were like, let's pretend it doesn't exist. And then the longer that the snow Sounds went on, um, the the more annoyed we were at that decision. But yes. it was, yeah, it was tough. I mean, there was, it basically just like completely ate through all of our contingency budget very, very fast because suddenly i mean i think for two nights we we were on location and the roads were so bad that we couldn't send people back to their accommodation so we had to put everybody up in a hotel up the road for two nights oh, you know it was gosh. things where just suddenly your costs are escalating yeah um but we got through um we did have to go back and do some pickups when the weather improved because you know we had things like throwing a body off a cliff which um mm-hmm. was hard in it's generally difficult because you've got to make sure in bad weather generally it's hard isn't it but you've got to let everyone know around and police that you are throwing a body off please do not go crazy this is not real it's really difficult isn't it you've got to because anyone could see that and they can be tra- traumatized by it as well you know yeah <laughs> let's talk about your cast then because you know it's it's a really great cast harry melling who has has been flying in the last couple of years as well in terms of his work yeah. uh obviously known from harry potter tom brooke who was fantastic in the crowd 
down. Um, who else have you got in there? Roger Allen, obviously, yeah. he's amazing. Um, Derek Jacobi, Anna Maxwell Martin, and Flora Spencer Longhurst, who's fantastic, who I worked with years ago on a project. You know, yeah. so and Vinette Robinson as well. Yeah, of course. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. The list goes on. Yeah. Uh, and uh, you know, there's so many as well in your cast, which is really nice. That lovely cast, and I love the sort of the Yorkshire tone of it, and I love the the, the really dark comedy within there. It just it was the right tone for me. It was mm. really fun, nice to watch pleasant very well performed brilliantly shot film and i think you know it should be commended especially if it seems like it did have problems um <laughs> thanks <laughs> yeah did you get your cast money at the same time how did that work they were sort of going hand in hand i mm-hmm. i think we had yeah it, i mean it's always that thing where you're trying to like and i'm sure you know this and so it's, it's always a catch-22 where like the financier wants to know who's in it and the cast's agents want to know who's financing it and you're you're trying to do this weird little dance where you're like yes. well this person's interested to that person then this person's interested to and like it's mm-hmm. all genuine but like nobody wants to be the first to commit without knowing the others committed so it's I think it was that classic thing where you're like trying to push them both along at the same time and um and get them all to sign and then f- and find that window where they're all available because there's so many of them mm-hmm. um and it it just happened to be yeah that's sort of like well beast from the east um and and yeah they were all they were all really great to work with and i think sort of totally got what we were doing with those characters and um mm. were excited to do something something british that was fun and um yes. yeah authored yeah did you get did you get funding on this one again? This oh, this was a Screen Yorkshire one we talked about anyway, wasn't it? From before, yes. it's been yeah, yeah, so long ago. Uh, yeah, <laughs> um, which is which is really I, th- I find I find that 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 really interesting how you can piece a movie together in so many different ways. You know, we've done so many podcasts now, and I think every single one is it's money's come from a different angle, or they've found money themselves, or a crowdfunder, or it's a mix of everything. You know, or it's a studio movie. And there's so many different ways. I think you can find money for your films there is no one right way or wrong way it's just whatever the way is at the time and also you you just don't know like i think i think this is what's quite liberating and also frightening like with um clock and noodle which we shot at the start of this year so it's in the edit at the minute that nice the people that finance that i wouldn't have in a million years have like thought would and you know they've been incredible to work with they're based in la and like I just, yeah, like I, if you were doing the, you know, oh, who I think might go for this film, they wouldn't mm. have even been on that list. And yet wow. just by like, you know, a series of events and connections and introductions and, you know, they just so happened to be looking for a film like ours and we were looking for some financiers and and it came together and it's been brilliant. And, you know, honestly, I would never have, just would never have predicted that. And I think that's quite nice because it's like you really just just you have to just knock on these random doors and talk to people and see Mm. where and who might be keen because i don't think it's always predictable and i think that's a good point i think when you you know when you you know you go to places like khan or the afm or all these festivals that we all markets you know that we all um have heard of you know you have a lot of producers that they kind of get disheartened when they go over there expecting their movie to be greenlit off the back of, you know, one meeting or whatever. And it's like, well, it's not about that. It's just starting a relationship and just letting people know who you are, just being proactive 
and then just mm-hmm. keeping access to, you know, if you get a business card or I use a software called Insightly and we just document like everyone we meet because you meet thousands mm. of people That's and there could be just that, that three people. Mm. Yeah, yeah, go for it. Because yeah, I, there could be three people that you've met 10 years ago that you just happened to tag as a financier and they thought, you know what, I'm going to reach out to them. And then suddenly they're like, well, yeah, actually. So that's why it's, it, you know, you can't, I can't stress that enough about your network. You know, you have mm. to get out there. You have to be mm. proactive. The money's not going to come to you uh, unless you're super, super looking. It does in some yes. weird way, but really yeah, yeah, yeah. It, um, you have to go out there and, and, and make it happen. And Yeah. And also yeah. you can't like, it's like, um, I was having this conversation with someone the other day about TV writing and when you're like pitching treatments and ideas and stuff. I think everybody goes through a phase where you think, oh, I should write the thing that I think they're going to want because, you know, I don't know. I know that ITV always have a crime drama on on Sunday at 9pm or whatever. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to write that. Even though I don't actually like that, I'm going to write that. Or you do, you know, it seems like everybody wants shows about this or a funny period drama or whatever it might be. And so you try and like do that thing, but actually that thing changes all the time. And if you're going around chasing what you think is the kind of the, the, the thing that people want without actually like, it just doesn't work. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you have to like, that's why this network of people and, and companies is really important because then when you have the idea and the idea has to come from the place of passion and genuinely wanting to make it but it's an amazing achievement you know you've done so well in terms of what you've achieved so far you know you are an inspiration to so many other filmmakers out there right now of what you've achieved at such a you know quite quickly it takes people a long time to get where you are so well done thank you helen simmons this has been amazing thank you thank you for having me absolute pleasure where can people find you on the social media so they can bombard you with uh (laughs) tales of ilkley um I'm on Twitter a lot uh, at, what is my name on Twitter? It's Helen Simmons 8. 8? I don't know why it's number 8. Yeah, I don't know why. Yeah. Um, Cool. And I tweet all the time. Not not actually that often about film. No, but I mean, maybe. Very inane stuff. Yeah. But still, maybe there were seven other Helens Simmons before you. you Maybe that's why. Maybe Mm -hmm. you were like 8. Luckily, I'm just at Giles Alderson. There isn't many Giles Aldersons uh, (laughs) out there in the world. There is one other guy. I've not met him, but he has email me he's got a little club people with the same name name. there was actually a giles fan club for a while yeah that all the gileses in the world would get together and talk about (laughs) i don't know why your name was giles Giles. yeah yeah because what else are you going to talk about (laughs) it's a weird experience being called giles it is it's (laughs) odd um you have to constantly correct americans who can't pronounce it um ian where can people find you uh yeah same so uh, what my what my twitter account is that what yeah i'm 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 at giles all the time no i'm actually helen simmons Simmons nine nine you you should have been Um, one two three four five six seven yeah (laughs) (laughs) yeah um yeah i think i think i'm ian sharp one i think (laughs) you were the first there there is actually there is a film director to be fair i think he worked on like a james bond movie or something like that guy called ian sharp it's mm. funny because i think on like wikipedia or whatever it's like ian sharp and there's a picture of me he's a 70 year old director I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> i'll take it yeah take it all day 
That helps me yeah, get yeah. projects made. Yeah, yeah. yeah exactly. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, join in the Twitter party. It's always fun. Yes, do. And join uh, our Twitter party as well, at Filmmakers Pod on Twitter. That's where we mostly do our a lot of our tweeting. And between us, we'll all be doing a lot of that uh, when this is released as well. But um, yeah. And you can follow us on Instagram at The Filmmakers Podcast. And if you like this podcast, go to filmmakerspodcast.com and see our back catalogue of over 200 and odd podcasts all about filmmaking. Go there and learn a shit ton. And if you really love this, go on iTunes and give us a five-star lovely review, and which we'll probably tweet about, actually. So happy <laughs> days all around content. for everyone. It's content. It's content. Yeah. It's content. Content is all key. Helps. It all <laughs> does absolutely massively help. Uh, you can go out there and make your indie film or your TV show. Work hard and make it happen. And if you're lucky enough to rise up and do well, it is your duty to send the elevator back down. Uh, Helen Simmons, thank you so much. Thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure. Absolute pleasure. Ian, you're a legend. Yeah, no worries. Thank you. Thank you so much, (laughs) Helen. This has been fun. It has. Uh, And we will see you all next Tuesday, as always. Take care, everyone. Go make your film, make it happen, and let us know about it. Speak to you later. Bye-bye.